What's up, church? My name's Ryan. I'm the worship and spiritual life pastor here at Abundant Life. I get to speak to you today and have the privilege of, of uh, picking up part three of this I've Decided To series. Um, feel free if you'd like to follow along either in your My ALC mobile app. I won't assume you're on Facebook or texting your buddy. Um, that was a joke, okay? But open your Bibles either in your app or you can follow along or in the Bible app or if you got your physical Bible to Matthew chapter 22. We are in part three of this series, and the last two parts are amazing. As Pastor John mentioned a couple minutes ago, we had Baptism Sunday a couple weeks ago with part one, and it was awesome. I love seeing baptisms and life change happen, and 38 people. I mean, that's just exciting, especially coming off the heels of Easter. Um, and then last week, he, he talked about the cost of following Christ and talked about needing to die um, like Christ did. And I'm not saying that you need to actually physically die. So go listen to the message, but we need to die to our old selves. We need to die to the sinful part of our lives, we need to die to the flesh. And um, that was a great message. And so today I wanna to talk to you about loving like Jesus. All right, I have decided to love like Jesus. If we were gonna say that together as a church, I wanna dive into what that will look like for us. So Matthew chapter 22, we're gonna start in verse 37. If you're there, say, uh-huh. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind this is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. I love this because the Bible is a thick book and there's a lot of stuff in there. You know, and when he's talking about the law and the prophets, when you look at the Old Testament, there's a lot of commandments that if you were a follower of God, you had to follow. Um, Jesus didn't discredit any of that, but he simplified it for us. You know, life can be complicated, Life's busy. Let me make it simple for you. And here in this passage, he says two things. Number one, love God. Number two, love people. Super simple. That's what he made it for us. And he's not talking about like a superficial, you know, kind of surfacey type of love because we do that often. Um, but we are supposed to model our lives after Christ. Paul tells us in Ephesians 5 to imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love following the example of Christ. So if we're gonna imitate Christ, that means we would have to love like Christ, right? You guys with me? So, you know, Jesus said in John chapter five, verse 19, he only does what he sees the father doing. And so Jesus himself really only did what he saw God doing. And so for us, I feel like, man, if we can just take a look at what Jesus is doing, then we're gonna love like Jesus and then we'll be set. A lot easier said than done. But if we're not aware of what God is doing, if we're not aware of how Jesus loved, then there's no way that you and I could love like Jesus. It would just be this foreign thing. And so I want to take a look at some of these scriptures here um, that we're going to go through. And I want us to observe how Christ loved, how he loved God and how he loved people. And then that way we'll ought to know how to love like Jesus. Is that cool? So uh, how did Jesus demonstrate his love for God? Uh, he says here in Matthew twenty two thirty seven, 37, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart. I want to talk about the heart first. How can we love God with all of our heart? Obedience obedience. 1 John 2, 5 says, but those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. This is how we know we are living in him. John 15, 12, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my father's commandments and remain in his love. Jesus was obedient to God, even unto death. He was obedient 100% of his life. And I'm not saying that we can be 
perfect and we can live sinless in those things, but Jesus set the standard for us. We are to be obedient and he even said it here. This is how we love God. If we love God, we obey his commandments. Now, Sarah and I sometimes will, you know, we, we watch the show Friends and seen the series, I don't know, a dozen times or more. And um, you know, this one time, Phoebe, you know, she shouts, uh, nobody listens to me because nobody's listening to her. And sometimes we say this, but let me give you context. We say this when our girls, ages five and seven, never listen to us. Nobody listens to me. I know some of you come up to me, so Pastor Ryan, your girls, they're little angels. No, they're not. Just being real. I think they're great. I love them. I love being a dad. I will be the first to tell you that there are times when I want to give them away. <laughs> How soon can you send a kid to boot camp? Is five, that's too young? Okay, Pastor John says it's too young. Thought about it. Yeah. Hey, if you're not going to listen when I yell, listen when they yell at you. They'll hug you less, though. It builds character. But if you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. A couple weeks ago, our girls were, they were being really bad. We had, went through a week. It was, it was like, it was, it was a dark time for us. <laughs> now, I feel like we're strict parents, and I'm not sorry to say so. We're, we want to raise God-honoring adults, and so we feel like we need to help set them straight and on the path of the straight and narrow right now, so we are strict. A few weeks ago, they were really bad. Nobody listens to me. I mean, it was like they were not listening. It was awful. And so we grounded them to their room for four days. No toys, no books, no nothing. They came out of their rooms to eat and take a shower, and then they would go back in their rooms. Four days. Now, that sounds extreme. We broke those little brats. <laughs> they have been better, though. I mean, it was like they finally got it. Lana came out of her room in tears. I'm sorry, I don't listen to you, you know? I mean, I feel like it finally connected. But if you're a parent, you've been there, you know? Don't touch the blinds. Do you understand? Yes, Daddy. Then what are you not going to do? I'm not going to touch the blinds. Okay, good job. Ten minutes later, Daddy, I broke the blinds. <laughs> Nobody listens to me. They're like, I love you. Do you? Because you don't listen, you're not obedient. Have you ever felt that way as a parent? Sometimes I feel like God's up in heaven, and he's like, nobody listens to me. <laughs> I said, don't do that. I said, do this. You're listening. Obedience is a reflection of our heart's commitment to love. Jesus said it himself. If we are going to love God, we must obey what he has commanded us. Real simple. And I'm thankful for grace. Sometimes, I don't know if you've ever been there spiritually, I felt like God's grounded me to my room for four days with, you know, nothing. God leads us in grace to repentance. I'm thankful for that. And it's his kindness that leads us to repentance, but he desires obedience from his people. So in 1 Samuel 15, we have this story that's taking place. There's this king, his name is Saul. And, um, you know, Saul just is like, oh, I love God. I'm a good king. You know, I'm going to just make these sacrifices to God. I'm going to sacrifice all these animals, and they can be his, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. And when we get to the story here, we see that God is so displeased with Saul that he removes him from the throne because of his disobedience. 
1 Samuel 15, Samuel says to Saul, the prophet Samuel says to Saul, the king, do you think that all God wants are sacrifices, empty rituals just for show? He wants you to listen to him. Plain listening is the thing, not staging a lavish religious production. God doesn't want you to do anything except be obedient because not doing what God tells you is far worse than fooling around in the occult. Getting self-important around God is far worse than making deals with your dead ancestors. This is out of the Message Bible. God desires that we obey him above everything else. That's what he desires. If you give, if you gave and you respond and you gave today, good. It's a good thing to give and that is an act of obedience. But if you're obedient in one thing and not obedient in another, if God says, do this. If God says, go talk to that person. If God says, don't take that job. Don't engage in that relationship. Giving and being obedient and giving does not discount your act of disobedience later on. You need to be obedient to God 100% of the time. And here, Samuel's saying this. This is not me. But basically what he's saying is, if you are a hypocrite, now we're all hypocrites at times, but if you call yourself a follower of God, and are not obedient, you might as well be doing witchcraft and practicing witchcraft. That's what he's saying here. That's how important it is to be obedient to God. And that's what God's saying. You, might, you say you love me, you're not obedient. You might as well be loving some other God. That's how God feels. And I know these are strong words, but this is how much he desires obedience from us. The apostle John wrote in 1 John 5, 3, loving God means keeping his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. The best way that we can demonstrate our love for God, just like Jesus did, is to be obedient. Real simple. So turn over to Matthew chapter 26. A few chapters later. So we read this a moment ago. Jesus said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. How can we love God with all our soul? I'm gonna tell you, through worship. Worship. Because our soul is our inmost being. It's the essence of who we are. Our passions, our pursuits, the thing that we desire after, the thing that gets us up in the morning. Worship is how we love God with our soul. Matthew 26, we're there, say I'm there. We're gonna start in verse 26. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, take this and eat it for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Mark my words, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. Then they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. Here we see Jesus leading the disciples in worship. But let's get some context here. Because this was a dark night for Jesus. This was the night that he was going to be betrayed. This was the night that his closest friends, one of his closest friends, was going to betray him and hand him over to the authorities to be arrested. Tomorrow, he's going to die. An, an agonizing, painful death on the cross. And Jesus, being God, knew this, but being man, he modeled for us what we're supposed to do if we're going to love God with our soul. And that is worship. Jesus worshiped God on the darkest night of his life. That's what he did. Many of us have been through some dark nights. 
Many of us have been through some dark circumstances, but in those circumstances, will we worship? Will we love God with our soul? Because it's easy to worship God when things go well, right? It's easy to worship God when you get good news from the doctor. Hallelujah. It's easy to worship God when you got money in your bank account. You know, you can be like that, you know, P. Diddy gift. Just the money is just coming out. Bless you, Lord. But what about when there's no money in the bank account? What about when you get bad news from the doctor? What about when your friend betrays you? Are you going to worship then? What do we do on those dark nights? On those darkest days, will we worship then? Because loving God with all of our soul means loving him and worshiping him every single day, no matter the circumstances. Jesus worshiped God so freely that night, and he modeled it for us. I've shared this quote before. It's one of my favorites. Louis Giglio, he wrote this in his book, The Air I Breathe. And he said, we were created by God, for God, and for one purpose alone, to reflect back to God his matchless glory. Worship is our response, both personal and corporate, to God for who he is and what he has done, expressed in and by the things we say and the way we live. He takes a lot of scriptures and puts together this awesome definition of worship. But one thing I want to remind us is that worship is meant to be both personal and corporate. That's how God designed it. If this one-hour service is the only time you're worshiping God throughout the week, you're not loving God with all your soul. You're just not. I'm not saying that to make you feel bad or feel guilty or shameful. I have some dark days too. It's hard. I know that. I've been battling some things physically for the last year. I don't feel good, I would say, most of the time. And it's hard. But we have to choose in our love for God to worship him to love him with our soul, to worship him regardless of the circumstances. David is one of my favorite characters in the Bible and he wrote in Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. I love this Psalm because David, he wrote these amazing songs. Some of them, he was sitting in the throne room and some of them, he was sitting in a cave and there was an attempt on his life. We need to tell our souls what's up. We need to tell our souls to worship God because we've all had dark days, but you can't let your emotions sit in the driver's seat of the vehicle you're on on the journey that you're on in this thing called faith. Your emotions can't be the deciding factor. Sometimes we have to tell our emotions, take the back seat because God is still good and he's still faithful and he still heals, he still delivers and he still deserves my praise and my worship. I don't know the circumstances you might be facing today, but my encouragement to you that passionately and expressively, you would worship God with all your soul, not just here in this place, but in your personal time as well. That is how we can love God with all of our soul. So Jesus said you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. So how did Jesus love God with all his mind? And that's through prayer prayer. Jesus, he instructed us to pray in Matthew chapter 6. The Lord's prayer is there. But he says, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. If you go through the New Testament and the four gospels, you'll see Jesus withdrew in prayer all the time. 
all the time. And distractions were different back then than, than they are today. You know, we might read in the Bible like he was surrounded by a crowd of people. We might think this is a crowd. But when Jesus was surrounded by a crowd, sometimes it was thousands of people. Thousands. Always around him, constantly. You know, I mean, if Jesus was an introvert, good luck, bro. He's constantly surrounded by people. He modeled for us withdrawing in prayer, and he instructed us to do the same. So I read something this week, blew my mind. Did you know that each one of you works a part-time job in addition to whatever it else is that you do with your time? And do you know what that job is? Not expecting you to know, so I'm going to tell you it was a rhetorical question. So cross-platform future and focus report at the end of 2017. This is what they discovered. The average American adult spends two hours and 51 minutes on their smartphone every day. Two hours and 51 minutes. That's, that's crazy. What? When you do the math, that's 20 hours a week. Now, I'm on my phone too. I'm not excusing myself from this. But 20 hours a week on your phone? Like, I already work a full-time job. When I read that, and I don't know exactly quantitatively how often I'm on my phone, but the idea of working another part-time job by being on my phone, that's crazy to me. And it adds up to three and a half days a month. or about 86 hours a month on your phone. Take it further, it's 43 days a year. 43 days a year the average person spends on their phone. Now, I'm not saying you spend that much time on your phone. You know how much time you're on your phone. That's between you and the Lord. But we live in the most distracted time in history. And I had to wonder to myself, if we had a church full of people that spent as much time in prayer as they did on their phone, Stephen City would be a different place. It would be a different place. Instead of carrying around our phone, we'd be carrying around the presence of God. We'd be carrying around the authority of Jesus Christ. We'd be carrying around the anointing. And I'm not trying to come down on anybody that spends time on their phone. It's part of life. But are we spending time in prayer? Because that's what Jesus told us to do. And I'm telling you, if you try to pray and your phone is on you, good luck. Good luck. Because you're getting blown up with notifications Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Finstagram I found out a couple weeks ago and, you know, whatever else you got, Snapchats and this and that and emails and text messages and phone calls. I mean, you guys see it all the time. I'm running out of breath, but am I wrong? We need to disconnect from our phones because we're too connected with the world. And it's because of our connection to the world that we're disconnected from God. If we want to connect with God in prayer, if we want to love him with all of our mind, we have to disconnect from the world, withdraw in prayer, put your phone down, turn on airplane mode, whatever, leave it in another room. We need to love God with all of our minds in prayer. And our phones, just put them away. That's the only way that we're going to be able to do it. So, love God. Jesus also said, love people. In John chapter 15, Jesus said, this is my commandment, love each other in the same way I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. So Jesus demonstrated his love for people first and foremost by laying down his life, right? We know he went to the cross at Calvary, he gave up his life, he became 
the sacrifice for our sins and he rose from the, you know, the dead and now he's alive and we have salvation and that's good. Jesus did this and, and that's awesome. But when I was thinking about love in and of itself, my mind began to wander to a couple of different things. Turn over in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13. I don't know why I do this as a husband, but I, sometimes I do this with my wife where I do something and I'll ask her why. And the answer is always true love. And sometimes it's funny. I'm gonna give you some examples because I know it seems kind of vague. Now, I'm not ashamed to say this. A lot of these involve food. I'm not saying that's bad, okay? So I like, I like baking and um, I make homemade brownies. And so if I make brownies, I'll go and I'll cut out the center of the center of the brownie and I'll put it on a plate and I'll hand it to my wife. And I'll ask her why. Why? True love. Right? That's true love, right? I gave you the center of the center, baby. <laughs> or if I make cookies, you know, I'll find the, the cookies with the most chocolate chips and I'll take them over to her and be like, you know why. <laughs> true love. Or if she makes a comment about being cold, I'll go and get her slippers and a blanket and be like, do you know why? It's true love. Yes, aw. <laughs> and these are some good examples of serving your spouse because in order to love people, we do need to put ourselves last, right? Putting others before yourself, that's a good thing. Putting your spouse before yourself, that's a good thing. But as I thought about true love, as I thought about real love, this word love, I thought about how flippantly we use these three words, I love you, in our culture today. Because we have this heightened infatuation with someone, and we tell them, I love you. And really, we don't. Because lust is often confused for love today. If I can just be real with you guys for a minute. Lust is a perverted word, though, so we don't want to use that. So I'm just going to say love, but really what I mean is lust. That's, that's what our culture looks like. Culture, Hollywood, magazines, television shows. I love you is said all the time. They don't love that person. And we're all guilty of that as well. But when I thought about what real love is, 1 John 4, 8 says that God is love. And so when we pervert love, we pervert the character of God. When we falsely portray and falsely demonstrate what real love is, we falsely portray the character of God. Because God is love. There's no differentiation between the two. So Christian or not, we misuse this word all the time. And we get in relationships and then quit. I don't love you anymore. Well, when did love become a feeling? That's not what the Bible says. You quit on your spouse. You weren't loving like Jesus. And I'm sorry if I'm stepping on your toes today. Pastor John last week said, it's irrelevant how you feel. And it is. When you're married, you're married. And when you're committed to love, you stay committed to love. Because love is not about how you feel. Don't let the emotions of your life sit on the throne of your life. So 1 Corinthians 13. We've got this description of love here. And this is out of the message Bible. I love it. It says, love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Love doesn't have a swelled head. Love doesn't force itself on others. Love isn't always me first. Love doesn't fly off the handle. Doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Doesn't revel when others grovel. 
Love takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, and keeps going to the end. This is what love looks like. Are we accurately portraying real love in our daily lives? Jesus said to love your neighbor as yourself. You want to know how to love your neighbor? It's right here. And God loves us so much through giving us Jesus, but we're not necessarily called to lay down our life for our friends. Like Jesus said that. He's not saying that we need to actually die. But the idea of putting others before ourselves, that's so important. And when I was preparing for this message, I was going to talk a little bit more about what it means to love your neighbors. But I felt God telling me that was the coward's way out. Because he wanted me to share a story that I'm going to share with you here in a couple minutes that I haven't shared publicly before. And I'm going to do that. But before I get there, Paul wrote in Romans 5.10, For since we are friends with God, and our friendship was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. Jesus didn't just lay his life down for his friends. He laid his life down for his enemies. The very people that were shouting, crucify him. The people that spat on him and mocked him. Jesus died for them, his enemies. He laid his life down for them. So I'm going to ask you today, who are your enemies? Have you ever said about somebody, I hate them? I have. Has someone ever talked about you behind your back? Have you ever been lied about or lied to? Have you ever been taken advantage of or betrayed? Have you ever been hurt or abandoned? Because I have. Those are our enemies. And we often think of our enemies with rejection and scorn and hatred, and we think, I hate them. We wish the worst upon them. But are we really loving like Jesus when we do that? Because Jesus bled for our enemies, right? He was broken for our enemies. I'm not discounting your pain any more than mine, but I want to talk a little bit about my enemy. See, I was abandoned and I was rejected. My dad left when I was eight. And for the next 25 years of my life, I walked around wearing the mantle of rejection and abandonment. I walked around with an orphan spirit. I walked around with a chip on my shoulder. And it not only affected my life, but it defined my life. See, my enemy was my father. I remember going through years of counseling, trying to get whole. You know, there's this dad-shaped hole in my life. I tried to fill it with a lot of things. And counseling is a good thing. And I was really struggling, though, and I, I remember hurting. I remember sitting in this chair right over here. I, I was inconsolable. I was praying in that chair, trying, crying. I remember asking God, God, why can't you take away this pain? I mean, I've been hurting for all these years. I remember thinking that every day was another day of rejection because it was another day of my dad not loving me. I remember crying at this altar. I remember the moment so clearly. I remember Pastor John trying to encourage me through it. 
I remember screaming at God, God, kill him. Would you just kill him? Because if he was dead, I wouldn't have to deal with the rejection anymore. I could just move on. I could just grieve and just move on with my life. God, I wish my dad was dead. Please, God, kill him. I remember Pastor John and his encouragement and through prayer, and God spoke something to me. He said, Ryan, you need to forgive your dad, but you need to love your dad, and you need to pray for your dad. I lost it. Are you kidding me, God? This guy that abandoned me, left me and my siblings, I had to become the man of the house at eight years old. You want me to forgive? You want me to love this man? God, you can't be serious. You want me to pray for this guy? Lord, you've seen my tears. You've heard my cries. 25 years, God. What? And he led me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. And Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This verse, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Yeah, I'm a pastor, but I have pain just like you. I realized I was living my Christian life. You know, I'm up here, I'm singing my songs and I'm preaching my messages and I'm in my office doing my things and I'm talking to people, love God, love people, whatever I'm sharing with people. And I realized I was ignoring the greatest commandment that Jesus gave because of my hurt and because of my pain. So I did a 21-day fast. And during this fast, I sought after the Lord. I just said, God, if... There's some way for me to figure this out. Please help me. There's a way for me to figure out how to forgive my dad and, and love him and pray for him. Like, I, I'd love to know. I just don't. I don't know. And so for the next 20 days, I prayed. I sought the Lord. And I really did experience breakthrough in my life. I really felt like I got to a place of healing. Like, I forgave my dad. You know, for like the first time. It's been 25 years. And I feel like I forgave my dad and I experienced this freedom you know, from bitterness and unforgiveness I'd carried around for so long. And I knew my dad didn't have a relationship with the Lord. And so I just said, God, he's a sinner. He needs salvation too. Save my dad. And so on day 20 of the fast, I get a text from my dad. You know, we didn't talk for a number of years. And he said, Hi, son. He called me son. I would like to talk with you sometime in the next couple of days. I need to apologize and let you know that I love you and I miss you. I didn't know what to do with this text. I mean, I feel like I just kind of worked through all my emotions and this was all so fresh and it was so raw, but I really felt like God was saying, call your dad. And so I waited till the next day. I tried to process things and prepare myself. I didn't know what to expect. So on day 21 of a 21-day fast, I called my dad. And my dad told me he was sorry, said he didn't deserve forgiveness, but asked for it anyways. And because of the healing that took place in my life, I was able to say to my dad, Dad, I forgive you. And I love you. And God forgives you too. 
and God loves you. And I'm telling you, church, I led my dad to the Lord in this phone call two and a half years ago. dad was my enemy and in not loving him I robbed him of the opportunity to know Jesus I feel like I gotta ask you today who's your enemy who is that person that hurt you who's the person that rejected you abandoned you betrayed you lied to you not every story has a happy ending And I'm not saying because it happened for me, it's gonna happen for you. But if we choose to ignore this commandment from Jesus, if we don't love and pray for our enemies, we rob them of the opportunity to find salvation in Jesus Christ. And that's why this commandment is so important. Jesus said this commandment right behind loving God is equally important. We have to love people. It's so easy to love our neighbors. It's easy to love strangers, but what about those people that hurt you? Who is your enemy? If we're gonna love like Jesus, we need to love and pray for those that hurt us. Let's pray. God, I thank you for loving us. Thank you for demonstrating your love by sending your son Jesus to die for us while we were still your enemies. And I thank you in doing so, you modeled for us how to love. God, I pray for each of us. We're in different circumstances and on different journeys, but to the same destination. Teach us how to love, we pray. Teach us how to love you. Teach us how to be obedient. Teach us about worship. Draw us near to you in prayer. And God, teach us how to love, not just our neighbors, not just our friends. Teach us how to love our enemies. May salvation reign on those that have hurt us. And may they also experience the grace available to every sinner just like us. There is salvation in Jesus Christ. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen.